Good morning, everyone. You know, sometimes you hear a story that you you just can't seem to shake. You know, it stays stuck in your mind long after you hear it. Uh, For example, you know, sometimes it's a story that's just like super sweet. And every time you hear that story, it just like makes your heart melt inside your chest and puts a big smile across your face. Like a story I heard on Friday is that we have two young ladies here in our church, Miss Addie Kay and Gracie Lee, who go to Natural Elementary. And it was Grandparents Day, but their grandparents live far away. Never fear, church grandma is here, right? And so Miss Brenda made an appearance at Grandparents Day, and of course, uh, they're not our only natural students, and so like she was the local celebrity I hear just walking through the the gym, waving to all the kids. Um, sometimes it's a story that's uh, funny, and every time you you remember it, you kind of like giggle out loud out of nowhere. Uh, for example, I can't help but laugh out loud every time I think of my son, Sam, so confidently calling his baseball uniform his unicorn every single time. (laughs) Sometimes it's a scary story. And whenever you remember, it makes you kind of shudder and shake, you know, thanks a lot, Stephen King, for lots of those. But sometimes you hear a story and it stings a little bit. It's a story that that hits kind of close to home, and maybe at first you can't quite put your finger on why, but but it, it stings, and, and you have to wrestle a little bit with like what it is you're supposed to learn from it. I heard a story like this a few weeks ago that I haven't been able to shake. It's a story of a Japanese lieutenant named Hiro Onoda. Um, he fought in World War II, and he was stationed on a little island in the Philippines. It was only a few months after he'd been there that the American forces showed up and they kind of forced him and all of his fellow soldiers out into the jungle. And then it was only a few months after that that the war was completely over, done, complete. It was time for them to go home. However, Onoda and his friends, uh, three of them, they, they didn't get the memo, all right? They stayed out in the jungle hiding there as if the war was still raging on. As they're living out there, they're still attacking enemy forces that are actually just civilians, you know, and they're still burning fields as acts of warfare, all the while, they're, they're living out there in the elements, right? They're living out there and they're surviving on things like snakes and ants and rice when they could steal it. They're living in isolation from everyone and everything, missing out on even the most simple pleasures of life, you know, friends and, and family and, and a soft bed and a warm shower and a roof over their heads, However, this wasn't for lack of attempts to let Onoda and his friends know that the war was done. Uh, The American and the Japanese government, they recognized that this was going to be a problem because they have all these forces that had been scattered out across all these Pacific islands. And so they came up with a plan that they were going to take planes and fly over these islands and drop all these leaflets, these leaflets that said, the war is over, you can go home. And so they did this, and um, and and holdouts like Onoda and his friends, they found them. And in fact, Onoda and his friends, they themselves found one of these flyers, and they read it. It told them the war is over. They could go home. But guess what? Onoda read it and said, this is fake. 
This isn't real. This is a trick. The Americans are just trying to pull us out of hiding so that they can take us prisoner. And so they burned the flyers in protest. That was dramatic. That was dramatic. Okay. <laughs> Five, thank you. Five years went by, and still Onoda and his friends were living out in the jungle. Five years, you guys. They're hiding, and they're still fighting. And so the Philippine government, they put out all these flyers telling them the war is over. Go home. But still, of course, they don't believe it. They remain hidden. They keep fighting. And so the Japanese government decides to make one other effort. They decide this time to make sure they get their attention. They're going to put the men's pictures on the flyer. So it's like, hey, we're talking right to you. And then to make sure they knew that they meant business, they attached a handwritten letter from the emperor of Japan himself. They drop the flyers. Onoda finds it and still doesn't believe the war is over. The Philippine people at this point, they, they really have no choice but to start fighting back whenever they attack. And so eventually one of Onoda's companions surrenders, two of them die, and he's all alone living out in the jungle by himself, an army of one person. But he'd been told to never surrender, so he fights on, and he becomes something of a legend. People wonder if he's really dead or alive, and American forces and then Japanese forces are sent into the jungle just to try to locate this man. But every time they go out, they cannot find him. For 29 years, 29, he stays hidden in the jungle fighting a war that is already over. I don't know about you, but my first reaction to hearing this story was just like utter disbelief. disbelief. It was like, there is no way that this could be true. Like, how could somebody live out in such rough conditions for so long? How can they stay hidden? How can they stay so disconnected? Then as the shock started to wear off, I started to feel pity for him, right? Like, man, think about everything that he missed out on. So much of his life, more than half of his life, had been spent out in this jungle when he could have been right back at home enjoying fullness and freedom with his family and his friends. How unfortunate. How unfortunate that he had spent so much time out there fighting for something that was already over, that was already done, that was already finished, that was already complete. To be honest, uh, my pity for him started to turn into a little bit of anger and judgment, and that's when the sting happened. <laughs> Because I suddenly realized my own proclivity to do the very same thing. My own proclivity to, to keep fighting a war that's already over. To keep fighting for, for God's love and for his acceptance and, and for his approval. When, when Jesus has already said like, hey, the war is done, finished, complete. Maybe you can relate. Where we left off in Colossians 2 last week, Paul, he, he's just said this, and I want you to hear it in the message version this time so that we can kind of hear it in a fresh way. And what I want you to do as you listen is to um, count the number of times that you hear the word already, okay? Already. 
You ready? Entering into his fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in insiders, not through some secretive initiation, right? But rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism, going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of the water was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. He says, you're already in, included. He says, Christ has already gone through all that was needed in order to defeat the power of sin. He says that through baptism, you have already died to your old life and already been raised to life. It is already done. It is already complete. It is finished. Fullness and freedom are already ours in Jesus. But remember, at this point in time, when Paul is penning this letter, there are people that are coming along and they're telling the Colossians a different story. They're saying, no, 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 no. The war is still on. Oh, no, 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 no. There is still more to do. You have to achieve something else. You need to get circumcised to truly be in. Or you need to keep this long list of rules to make sure that you stay in the, in the family. You need to attain some kind of secret knowledge through some special ritual to know that you know that you know where you really stand with God. Achieve, 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 they say. Fight, fight, fight. But Paul doesn't want the Colossians to spend the rest of their lives fighting, fighting for something that has already been decided. He doesn't want them to waste their days struggling and straining when in reality, Jesus had already won the victory. He doesn't want them or us to miss out on the freedom and the fullness that Jesus has already made possible. And so what Paul does at this point in in the book of Colossians is he turns his attention to trying to help them understand what it is that Jesus has already achieved through the cross. This is what he says. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is another one of those times where it seems like Paul has just like gotten really excited about what he's talking about. And he starts throwing out all these different metaphors, all these different pictures to try to help us get just like some piece of this. He's trying to to tell us um, some picture that helps us go, oh, I kind of get that. But he's also giving us all these different pictures because he's trying to describe to us something that is very mysterious. He's trying to describe to us something that no matter how many words we might use, we cannot really contain it. We can't really capture it fully. 
Each of these pictures is just a, a different a different aspect of what the cross has accomplished for us. Just kind of like a diamond as you turn it around, you can see all these different pieces of light coming through it because it's something that is so big and it's something that is so amazing that we can never fully wrap our minds around it this side of heaven but we can try, right? We can keep trying to understand it more and more. And so Paul gives us two pictures to help us do that, to help understand a little bit more what Jesus has accomplished, what he has achieved for us through the cross. And those two pictures are these, a debt being forgiven and a victory march. So let's start with the debt being forgiven. In the Jewish culture, whenever you broke the law, whenever you sinned, it was, um, it was said that you were at that point in debt to God. The law essentially handed you a big IOU with, with different penalties attached to it. And you had to, to, to see to that IOU being repaid because there were consequences if you didn't pay up. And so you needed to work for it. You needed to earn. You needed to achieve. You needed to, to do all that you could to get this forgiveness by taking certain actions. However, here, Paul is telling us that, that everything has changed. Paul is telling us that that law that brought charges against us, that law that gave us those IOUs, that it was nailed to the cross with Jesus. He is telling us that now that law has nothing to say to anyone who belongs to Christ. All of those IOUs are no longer valid. There is no condemnation. Anything that might have counted against us now has been wiped clean. It died right along with Jesus. But I don't know about you, despite that being done, finished, complete, a lot of times I still live my life as if those IOUs were still hanging over my head. Like I still owed something, that there was something more that I need to work off. Uh, we talked about this at Tacos and Theology the other day, and I used up all my puns last week. So you're safe. Don't worry. There's not going to be any sprinkled in. Um, but as we were talking about this, Courtney had a, a great thought about what this is kind of like. Um, how many of you have ever paid off a loan, like a car loan or something like that? Who's, who's ever done this? All of us have gotten to pay that off. How does that feel? amazing, right? There is so much fullness. There is so much freedom. It is a time for celebration. But let me ask you a question. How many of you, after you had paid that off, decided, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and keep paying the bank just in case. Anyone? No, right? That would be silly. We have much better plans for that money that, that we now have back, right? But it's so interesting because that is what we essentially do with God. God looks at us and he says, the loan has been paid in full, right? The loan is done. The debt is gone. And instead of throwing a party and enjoying our newfound freedom, what we so often do is we keep on trying to work um, work to forgiveness. We keep on slaving away to, to work off things that we have messed up along the way. We keep on trying to pay the bank. We keep ourselves anxious instead of resting in God's grace. 
I'm going to guess that you probably walked through our door today carrying some sense of anxiety with you, um, anxiety that maybe you've fallen short in some way, anxiety that, that you don't know if you're doing enough to truly be in with God, um, maybe feeling as if like there's no way you could ever belong or be included in his family. And maybe that's dragging you down and stressing you out. Maybe you've even given up and you feel trapped underneath the weight of it. But as you came through the door today, we gave you something. I don't have one, but you should have a chain of some sort. Do you have it in your hand? Yeah. If you don't have one, raise your hand. I'm going to make Jeremy give you one. Jeremy, raise those hands. We'll get you one. <laughs> but as you get your chain, hold that in your hand for just a moment and allow it to represent whatever it is that you feel like you owe God. Maybe it's a mistake that you think is too big for it ever to be wiped clean. Um, maybe it's that sense that, that you don't think you're good is good enough for God. But what is it that's keeping you stuck? What is it that's keeping you from moving forward toward the fullness and the freedom that Jesus has already given to you? Go ahead and give it a name and allow yourself to feel the weight of that in your life. And now what I want you to do is I want you to hear these words from this passage one more time. And I'm going to read them from the message version again to hear it in a different way. And I'm going to, I'm going to change the words just ever so slightly so that it's directed right to you today so that we can make it personal. This is what it says. When you were stuck in your old sin dead life, God says you were incapable of responding to me. I brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. Think about that for a moment. What would our lives look like if we had the audacity to truly believe that? If we had the audacity to, to believe that Jesus really is who he says he is and has done for us what he says that he has done. Complete. What is it that we're missing out on while we stay stuck paying off a debt that's already been forgiven? You know, one of the reasons I think we often stay stuck is because there's all these voices. Sometimes those voices are inside of us. Sometimes those voices are outside of us. But they're voices of different powers and authorities that, that still try to, con to accuse us and condemn us. That still come along and like wave that IOU in our faces saying, no, you're not good enough. No, you haven't done enough to, to have this be forgiven, that you need to do this or that or the other. But Paul says, in reality, those powers and those authorities that are speaking into your life, that they're actually all bark and no bite. That's where the second picture comes in in this passage. It's that picture of a victory march, and this is what he says. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In ancient times, this is what would happen. 
People would go to war. The losing side would be dragged back their army to um, the victorious sides, capital or big city, and, and the losing army would be paraded through the streets, usually naked. And um, in humiliation, right? And at the end of the parade, they would find the king of that people who's been conquered. And that king would then be executed before the crowd. If you think about it, this is essentially what was done to Jesus when he was crucified. Jesus was stripped and he was marched through the streets. Crowds came around and watched him as a spectacle as he carried the cross to Golgotha. And then whenever he got there, he reached that hill and he, the king of the Jews, is what the sign said, as he was nailed to that cross and and was killed, everyone was watching on. The powers and the authorities, they publicly celebrated their triumph over him. But in all actuality, through Jesus's weakness on the cross, he was about to show God very strong. As he overcame death itself, all the powers, all the authorities were conquered as well. In the end, they were the ones who had their armor stripped. In the end, they were the ones that were held in contempt as Jesus triumphed over every single one of them. And so it might feel like you have to keep hiding. It might feel like you have to keep fighting against all these powers and authorities that are accusing you uh, that, that might sound very loud and that might sound very scary, that might sound big and strong. But here's the deal. Because of Jesus, they have no swords. They have been disarmed. The war is over. Jesus has already won. I didn't tell you the end of uh, Onoda's story. Um, in 1972, um, after he'd been there, those 29 years out in the jungle, there was this Japanese explorer who went out to find him. And let me tell you, this explorer is like a character in and of himself. I've got to read more about him. But um, he made, he made uh, a list of three things he wanted to do before he died. This is a fun guy. If you know the Enneagram, I think he was a seven on the Enneagram. I think, Krista, you would go on this adventure with him. He said, I want to see three things before I die. I want to see a panda bear. I want to see a Yeti. Um, I tried to say abominable. There we go. Snowman. I couldn't say it last service, but there we go. Uh, He wanted to see that. And then he wanted to find Lieutenant Onoda. Those were his life goals. And he saw Panda Bear and he found uh, Lieutenant Onoda. I think he died in pursuit of the Yeti, if I'm remembering correctly. But he goes out, he finds Onoda in the jungle, this this one explorer. He does what the American forces and Japanese forces could not do. And whenever he finds him, um, he tries to convince him to leave. And still, Onoda says, I'm not going to go. I was told never to surrender. And so I'm going to stay here unless you can bring my commanding officer right here in person, and he tells me that I can go home. And so this explorer, what he did is he goes back to Japan, he brings back his commanding officer, and that officer tells Onoda in person that the war is over. And he finally leaves the jungle, and he goes home. That's what God did for us in Jesus. He came to tell us in person You don't have to keep fighting this battle. The war is over. You are forgiven, full, and free. 
I have won the victory. Every time we come to this table, we have the opportunity to remember how that victory was won on our behalf. And Jesus meets with us in person and invites us to come home. But that chain in your hand, it represents what's keeping you stuck. What's keeping you from accepting that invitation. But as you come today, I want to encourage you to give that over to Jesus. To put it here at the altar and to go out of here in the fullness and the freedom that he so desires for you to enjoy. Maybe you're not ready today to, to put down that chain. And that's okay. Take it with you. Um, use it as a reminder, asking God to help you hand that over. Um, and then you can always bring it back. You can always put it here at the altar anytime that you're ready. I remember um, many years ago, we did something similar at, um, in a service. And um, I remember walking into the Melrose Campus Sanctuary and glancing over and seeing something glistening on the altar. And it was somebody's chain six months later that they had decided that they could finally let go of. And so don't feel rushed if you're not ready to, to let it go. You don't have to. But if you are, would you come and leave it here with Jesus before the cross? We remember on the night that Jesus gave himself up for us, that he took the bread and he gave thanks to the Father and then he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup. And he once again gave thanks to the father. And then he gave it to his disciples and said, take, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink from it, do this in remembrance of me. As those who are serving with me this morning come forward at this time, would you pray with me? Lord God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry, in ministry to all the world until that day when Christ returns in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning we'll be receiving communion by intinction. So you'll come forward, be given a piece of the bread, and then dip it in the cup to receive it. We do have gluten-free elements available here if you need them. Again, as you come, you can bring um, your chains with you to leave here at the altar and can pause to pray. You're also invited to bring your tithes and offerings and put them in the baskets on either side here. Um, you don't have to be a member here to come and to take part in communion today. This is a table that Jesus himself sets for us. And so all are invited to come.